This week on My Matters, Counseled Culture, Robert D. Jones is Rita Schulte's guest on his new book, My Spouse Was Unfaithful, Finding Strength in God's Presence. That's coming right up on Mind Matters. Bob, welcome to Mind Matters. Well, thank you for having me today. Yeah, so I I liked the book a lot. Uh, I think it's a necessary subject for sure. Spouse was unfaithful is the title. Uh, we'll get you to give us the details on how to get that a little later. But you wrote this primarily for those who've been betrayed by sexual infidelity. But what other areas of marital unfaithfulness do you discuss in this book? And who's like the secondary audience for this? Yeah, sure. So uh, certainly our primary audience would be the person himself or herself who has been betrayed directly. And that could be uh, a marriage, obviously, and it could be adultery, but it can also apply to singles or those who've had uh, betrayed relationships. And it could not just be sexual, but uh, other forms of betrayal, relational betrayal, financial things like that. So there's a little breadth intentionally built in. It's talked about in the beginning. But we also designed this as a secondary audience would be for those who are seeking to love and serve friends, family, peers, church members, but also counselors, pastors, um, small group leaders can, I think, uh, walk with people through the material. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, One thing that really stood out to me was these areas that you talk about, um, about why this particular sin is more egregious than perhaps other sins in a marriage. I mean, we all know we're short with our spouses. We can have other issues going on, um, you know, but I really like what you had to say about why this is such a a deeper area of sin. Can you talk a little bit about those areas? Yeah, sure. Because, uh, you know, you're you're right, first of all, that uh, when two sinners, even saved sinners, marry, right? When sinners say I do, as one book title puts it, there's going to be conflict and all that. But yes, this is a of a different nature. It is more egregious, as you said, because of the marital covenant, because this is a violation of covenantal commitments there. Uh, I never really promised my wife that I would not ever be angry or that I wouldn't forget to do things or even speak unkindly to her. I, that's not really part of the core of covenant. The core of the covenant is fidelity, And so it makes it a much more serious thing. And why this is important, Rita, is because in some of these situations, the offender, the one who's been unfaithful, might try to cite, well, you know, you're not perfect either in the marriage and you did this X, Y, or Z, and they're going to blame and all that. But here we have to stop that person and say, wait a minute, my friend, brother, sister, you are switching categories here. This is not the same. This is not apples and apples. Yeah, no, that I love that you said that because that's what we do. <laughs> Excuse me. We try to flip the script on people, right? Because that deflects from our own guilt or shame or whatever. And there is a lot of shame oftentimes with an infidelity, not all the time because you go into this whole idea of the unrepentant spouse. But, um, you know, um, you talk a little bit about Israel and the rejection, Israel, you know, with the Lord. I mean, we've been studying the Old Testament a lot in our small group, and uh, it's just really a good comparison between the idolatry and the adultery of Israel with God. And this is on the same level because it is a covenant, and a covenant is serious business. Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Uh, in, in, in fact, uh, the way the 
Old Testament and New Testament picture sin is often, and maybe most commonly, the language of idolatry, okay, right? But this, one of the most common ways, particularly in the Old Testament, is going to be the uh, adultery, that Israel was adulterous. And Israel, in some pretty graphic places, like in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, it's pretty serious stuff. And even when you come into the New Testament, what do you see in James chapter 4, where James says to the believers that there's ways in which you've been adulterous, you adulterers. James chapter yeah. 4, verse 4. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, people want to minimize this, especially in our culture today, because everybody's doing it. And a lot of times you hear people say, well, you know, God just wants me to be happy, you know, and and I'm in this miserable <laughs> relationship. And, you know, I don't need to be in this relationship because God wants me to be happy. What do you say to that? Sure. Um, this is very common. Let me really affirm your question, because it is probably the most common thing that we would hear when there's contemplation of adultery or uh, separation, divorce without a biblical ground for such is, yeah, doesn't God want me to be happy and are God's commands at this point, cutting against my happiness. So, yeah, we really have to go back to um, the ability to trust your father. Do you believe God, your father, really does care for you and love you? And if you believe that, do you believe the Bible is God's word? And therefore, this is the word of him who loves you. But, uh, you know, unless you believe that God is for you, then the Bible becomes kind of a restriction, a uh, a rule book that I don't agree with it, and I don't really want to follow it. And God certainly wants me to have happiness, as as you've as you've said. What about uh, so, for the so so true happiness? For example, is not going to be found in the satisfaction of my flesh because we know from Scripture that it doesn't provide ultimate satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction comes only in that relationship with Christ, where there's pleasures in this life. And then, of course, in the life to come. Mm, yeah. So there's lots and lots of people and people I know and am friends with that are living in relationships that are pretty miserable. And for whatever reason, you know, they've decided to just stick it out. Um, you know. That's not God's best, but sometimes there's really no more fight left in people. Sure, sure. You know, there, there, there's something about persevering because of covenantal commitments that um, I, I just did a related blog with New Growth Press on marriage as covenant there. So that appears on the same website as New Growth Press stuff there, in which I talked about 40 years of marriage just celebrated. We just had our 40th anniversary and uh, we've had a good marriage, but that there, yeah, have there been times? Sure. And are there times in all marriages where you just wonder, you know, did I make the right decision? Uh, I almost wonder, you know, did Adam and Eve ever like, maybe we shouldn't have married? Yeah, know? yeah. Because of whatever conflict you see brewing in, in Genesis 3, where, you know, he's, he's blaming her and things like that. Yeah, I think it's pretty common that uh, marriages will hit those points. And uh yeah, unfortunately, some people choose then to step out of the marriage and uh, cross those lines. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or they just live, you know, together separate lives. And I guess I guess I guess my question would be, what do you think about that biblically? I mean, is that, or, you know, would one spouse be living in sin because of that? Or it's just, you know, I don't feel like there's any way I can move forward because my spouse just 
isn't going to go to counseling or we've tried that and it didn't work. Like, yeah, I mean, this is a reality for marriages mm-hmm. as, as I, I sense you've probably talked with people, Rita, about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, we certainly want to not settle for um, fidelity as the only concern in marriage. It is a parameter, right? We can't cross that boundary. But within those parameters of staying faithful sexually and you know emotionally in other ways, we have to help couples grow in their marriages. And uh, that's another big task oh. here that we have. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, you're right. So- yeah. These are going to be some hard things. Okay. So what about the person who has the affair um, and then remarries? Is that person, in your opinion, according to scripture, an adulteress? Um, yeah. The- <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I know I'm just hitting right to it. You are. <laughs> but yeah, I've you're- had situations like this. And yeah, sure. if this person remarries, uh, some people feel like in God's eyes, that marriage isn't yeah. void or, or, you know, I don't know the word. I think, I, I think. I, yeah. Like, I would you know, that marriage isn't, isn't right. Like they should go back and marry their first spouse who they divorced because in God's eyes, that covenant wasn't broken to remarriage. Yeah. So I would say that if a person has sinfully divorced, and that would be cases where, from my perspective, and I think the listeners need to make sure they connect with their Bible-believing church and pastors on these sure. matters. I don't want to try to make decisions for people over the air here. But you know, from my perspective, where there has been um, infidelity, where there has been abandonment, and uh, particularly where there's been a lack of repentance after those things— I think the sinned against spouse does have freedom in scripture to divorce, even initiate if the uh, unfaithful partner is kind of lazy or whatever reason doesn't initiate. And I think that person, if they remarry, uh, they they can and should remarry. It's okay to remarry. For the one who has sinned and and, and sinfully caused a, uh, a divorce, either he's initiated or, you know, um, she's had to initiate because he was lazy. Um that person should not remarry. Now, if they do remarry, it would be a sinful act he's taken, uh, he's done, but he shouldn't undo a marriage. So we wouldn't go that say that you need to break the one marriage and go back to the other one. Uh, but we want to help that person. And that's the next book in, in that I'll be doing. And this is a series of two books, actually, it will be Good. for the person who has been unfaithful. That person, before they remarry uh, someone else, we want to call them to repentance and then try to work on restoring your original marriage that you've caused uh, the fissure in that and try to work there. But if they do, they sin and we don't want to have them break another marriage. Well, that's what I always thought. And then I was having a conversation with a person about this and they're like, well, that marriage isn't honored in God's eyes. The, yeah. the only marriage that was honored in God's eyes was the, was the initial covenant from the first marriage, even if that person then was yeah. repentant later. So I guess, you know, it's like God's going to work it all out in the end. I know. I just wanted to, I know you're a pastor and, you know, why yeah. I just wanted your perspective on that for our listeners. Well, and let me let me comment on that, because what 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 First Corinthians 7 tells us is that you should not divorce your spouse. 
But if you do, um, if, 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 okay, so I'm, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 7 11, mm-hmm. um, that uh, a wife should not leave her husband. If she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her spouse. She is at that point unmarried. She's not married in God's eyes. Okay. God works through the, uh, this is not a sacrament of the church. Marriage is not a sacrament. It is rather a um, a blessed thing that God has given, but it works through the culture. And when the culture declares a divorce to occur, the Greek word to get overly technical is uh, agamas, unmarried, not married, not gamas anymore. Ah is a, a negative there. Um, no, she is unmarried or he is unmarried once a divorce occurs. And it's not that they're still married in God's eyes. I, okay. I would disagree, disagree with disagree that approach. With that. Okay, that's great. It's I've... out there though, Rita. It's it common. Is. Other people do believe that. I would yes. argue against that because of the, the the meaning of the passages here. I encourage people to study carefully 1 Corinthians 7. We've got a wealth of good Bible commentaries out there that can help us. Oh, good. Yeah, that'd be really helpful because I know there are people that are really, really struggle with this. And they say, look, okay, well, you can marry somebody else, but you can't be intimate with that person. That's where the sin uh, comes in. I've heard so all that all too. This, yeah. Okay. Well, I won't belabor it, but, you know, thank you for it's uh, out your, there. Your patience and I would, I, no, you're fine. And I'm glad to help. And I think uh, there's just really good books. You know, Andreas Kostenberger, has written uh, some really good stuff on uh, God, marriage, and family, and Jim Neuheiser. Okay. Uh, if I can throw a few names of my oh, friends absolutely. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim New Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage by Jim Neuheiser, I think is a very a great- biblically grounded uh, work. He's a biblical counselor. He teaches at Reform Seminary in Charlotte okay. and great. is a friend of mine. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to touch on was this whole idea when a spouse spouse is unfaithful, often the person who was sinned against blames themselves. So let's say, you know, my spouse was unfaithful and now I'm just in this black hole blaming myself. I should have better been a better wife. I shouldn't have yelled at him or nagged him about, you know, all the chores that he wasn't doing, blah, 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 blah. What do you say to that woman who's drowning in those beliefs? Yes. Uh, first, I'll tell you it's common and uh, all sorts of regrets and I can't forgive myself and all that kind of stuff comes into play here. We have to hear that. We have to weep with them. Uh, and, I, you know, I really want to be very compassionate about that. We have a whole chapter there that, that begins with that emphasis here. And it says this, first of all, you were sinned against, period. There's nothing you have done or failed to do, right? Sins of commission or omission that you have done or failed to do that God wanted you to do that is in any way, shape, or form caused or made your husband sin against you in infidelity. It's just not true. Um, Your spouse's sin was never your fault. There's nothing you've done. We don't cause people to sin. We don't make people sin. Now, I want to say, not at this stage, though, because right now it's a grieving stage. A little bit down the road, we might be able to help the person realize, yeah, there's some things that you could have done better in your marriage. Let's make that right with the Lord. Let's make that right with your spouse. But in that in no way negates the severity. And we're back to what you, we talked about at the beginning of the broadcast here. You know, it's it's not apples and apples. This is a kind of sin that is different than the fact, yeah, I wasn't the best wife possible or I had some anger issues or, yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you counsel people a lot through the years, as I have. Um, God doesn't really promise to restore every marriage that's been damaged by infidelity. We get that. But what do you think the single biggest factor in whether or not restoration will occur is? It's going to be the uh, repentance or lack thereof of the offender. That's going to be key. Um, Most people that I work with who have been sinned against in infidelity would like to see the marriage somehow restored. Now, there's an initial sense of rage, Rage. maybe, and I'm going to get the best lawyer and I'm going to take him down. And if he's ever thinks he's ever going to see his kids again, he's got another thing coming. I understand all that. But but usually for a Christian woman who does want to follow Jesus, there is a desire that if he were to repent, I would at least be willing to work on it and go through a counseling process and, and let trust slowly redevelop. Uh, I, I find that. But the thing that's going to stop that from happening is usually going to be the lack of repentance by the offender. Mm. And uh, there's a lot we need to be saying about that. Uh, I'll just make one, if I give one mini commercial for another sure. writing of mine, pursuing peace, uh, handling conflict in a, a Christian handling conflict crossway published it. Um lays out a lot of things about what true repentance and confession really looks like and um, how one should proceed to repent. Uh, So that's going to be the single most important factor here. If that is there, Rita, there's a lot of hope for the restoration of the marriage. It may take time. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this about that. Because again, um, for the person who's been betrayed, uh, the the woman who's been betrayed, she often wants to know all the detail, like everything about this. Like, was she better than me? What did you see in her? What wasn't I doing? What you know, all of those things. And so, from a counseling perspective, uh, I believe that that wounded spouse is allowed some time to ask some questions. Where do you go with that with people? I mean, you know, every gory detail isn't necessarily going to help a, a woman get over this, but I think. Oftentimes, p- people have said to me so many times, well, I just, you know, I want to answer some of these questions and he just won't talk about it. And yeah. that makes me even more angry. Yes, right. And uh, ideally, I like to have a conversation with her and with him privately. In terms of him, it would be to say, brother, friend, you need to be willing to be completely transparent with your spouse when they ask questions about what you've done. But I want to say to her, and I think you're really on to this, I can sense by your question, uh, dear sister, uh, I'm sure you're filled with a lot of questions. I'm sure I would be the same way. And we're going to be able to cover a lot of those things. But I want to ask you if you'd be willing to trust me for me to say to you, perhaps in the midst of a discussion, you know, sister, that is a really important question. But right now, that might may not be the best thing for you. And I'm thinking of things, you've mentioned a couple of examples. I'm thinking of things even like sexual positions. Yeah. that's This is not going to be helpful for her to rebuild the marriage because we don't want that to be a factor in the rebuilding process. So yeah, sister, trust me. Now, the initial confession is one thing. And then as I, I teach, and it'll come out actually, well, it's in this book, but it'll come out in the next book more clearly. Well, I think of a two-stage confession. There's an initial confession that he needs to make, at which point she'll be tempted to ask a lot of questions. Then we have a phase of working with him. Will there be a deeper repentance? 
not just what I did, but what was driving it and other issues. At that point, perhaps some of those other questions could be laid out onto the table and, and dealt with. But as a counselor, I often feel like I need to do a little bit of refereeing and mediating there in the middle of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. For her sake. It's for her sake. Yes. Yeah, because you're right. It's not going to help her. And maybe now isn't the time, but later would be because that's, that's right. going to fuel a lot of the the anger yeah. and or the hurt. Or and, and, and her heart will be more rested, too, mm-hmm. in, in the Lord it, with time. I mean, this is a jolt. This is a crisis. This is jarring what's happened. Yeah, it's traumatic. Uh, to her. It is sure. traumatic. Yes. And OK, so there's some attitudes and actions that can be especially corrosive in a woman or man's own soul after learning learning about the affair um what do you say about that what are what are some of them if you could give us you know a couple of those things what should yeah. we be careful not to do uh and in the book we list actually seven of them i'll mention just a couple of them okay. um one of course is she just has to be able to handle as best she can bitterness, a rage, anger, that's going to, uh, you know, there's a kind of righteous anger, of course, then when sin occurs, but this is going to be very detrimental to any kind of rebuilding. Um, and coupled with that is often the rash decisions that might come, run to an attorney right away, run to drain the bank account, make sure he doesn't get money, make a decision that, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to see the kids, just things like that. That's where I think counsel comes into play. I think another one is going to be just kind of despair, uh, a hopelessness. Um, I don't see this ever changing. I can't believe he'll ever repent. So the cynicism on her part would be that uh, he'll never repent. And, you know, there's a, there's a gentle way to do what I'm about to say, but it's come alongside, well, just don't know that. And we're discounting the power of God in this situation. But it could be for her, too. There, I will never forgive him. I will, I can, I'll never forgive him of that. Yeah, but you don't know that. Let's let the Spirit of God work. And I'll mention one more, and I think we already alluded to it earlier, but let me use a little different phrase here. What I'm going to call a confused form of guilt the guilt that says, well, I caused this. And um, yeah, this is such a, a very difficult thing. And and here's here's how guilt works, I think, Rita. Uh, the confused guilt, the distorted guilt, uh, some call it false guilt. I don't really like that word false because it somewhat implies that I'm doubting you mm-hmm. or that there's actually no place for any kind of guilt. I actually think there is a kind of guilt, but, but let me explain what I mean by that. And that is that I I place myself under a law that isn't God's law. Here's the here's the here's here's how we would apply it. <laughs> um, I believe I'm responsible to for my husband's sin. I believe I have to keep this marriage together no matter what. If you believe those lies, you placed yourself under a false law, and you just violated that law. But you didn't violate because your husband violated by his sin. You place yourself in a law. You're going to feel guilty. And that's the way the conscience works. You should feel guilty if you place yourself under an unbiblical law like that. Uh, the freedom of, of biblical counseling and, and, and the gospel is that you're not responsible to keep the marriage together. You're only responsible to follow Jesus Christ as a mm. wife. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So if reconciliation, 
and restoration are not the way forward, what's the biblical way to proceed for couples? Well, we certainly want to work really, really hard at that. So, uh, but I understand your question. You're getting to assuming that we've worked hard with both yeah. partners. Um, One spouse uh, isn't repentant. They're yeah. just, you know, they're they're still they're in love with this other person, and yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, forgiveness. In terms of, uh, I think of forgiveness on two levels, as many biblical thinkers do, just reading Tim Keller recently, and others would say the same thing. There's a kind of forgiveness that is unconditional, that is just dealing with the bitterness. It's a decision that I'm not going to be the judge. I'm going to entrust my husband's sin into the hands of God, who is the perfect judge. I'm going to take responsibility for my bitterness and I have to deal with my problem. That's on me. I can't blame him for my response to his sin. And I'm going to be willing, if there ever is repentance, to work on reconciliation, if, again, if there is repentance. But there may come a place where um, a spouse, uh, the sinned against, betrayed wife, uh, I think really it should be in conjunction with her pastor and her church leaders might come to the place to say, uh, I see no repentance. It's been a while. I want to certainly say at least six months or more. I don't want to assign an arbitrary number, but there needs to be some time here for him to repent and for her to deal with some of the, her heart issues and struggles. I think there there can come a place where uh, divorce is an option um, in these these cases. What is important is for the spouses to seek counseling if they are wanting to reconcile and each person do their individual work. That's really important because a relationship will move forward or stay stuck based on my responsiveness to how God is leading me through all these things we've talked about, the bitterness, the anger, the rage, or, you know, for the betrayer, the sin, whatever. So we have to be responsive to God individually in order for this to move forward. Yeah, let, let me comment on two things there that you said. One is, I do think that a third-party counselor is really needed in these cases. I don't think every marriage that has a problem in it needs a counselor. I do think something like this, is it's so serious. And the second thing is exactly what you just said, Rita, and that is that both parties have work to do here. And uh, the good news is God's Spirit through his word and through his church and good, healthy church can come alongside and really help both the uh, betrayer and the betrayed one. So I get very thrilled about what a local church armed with biblical truth uh, can do. Mm. Yeah. Bob, again, thank you. Where can they get the book? You can get it anywhere that books are sold as the old phrase goes forward there. Yeah, I do have a, a website that's not well run, but uh, robertdjonescounseling.com. Well, God bless you. Thank you for the work you're doing. And we'll have you back for the second book. When is that going to be out next year? I, I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> okay, yes. well, great. Thank you well, again. And Thank you, Rita, uh, yeah. for okay. having me on today. Okay, God bless. You're listening to my Matters with licensed counselor and author Rita Schulte. Rita was speaking with Robert Jones, and he's written a book on infidelity. If you need any other resources, uh, please uh, go to Rita's website, uh, ritaschulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. I'm Richard Beatty, and for Rita Schulte and myself, 
Have a great week.